good morning. You are the faithful. You braved the rain and the time change. I figured like most people wouldn't make it today, so I'm impressed that you guys uh, survived it, lived through it. So good morning. As Pastor Matt said, we're going to be in Proverbs 13 this morning. And I want to kind of pick up where we left off last week and then kind of bridge that to this week. So if you would, last week we tied wisdom intrinsically to the gospel. And really by saying that we gain Christ-like wisdom, we become more like Jesus when we fall more or deeper in love with God. That the idea there is that out of falling in love with Jesus, our lives begin to be transformed and become like him. And that godly wisdom is shown best through the life of Christ. And so that as we become like him, we naturally become wiser, make better decisions, live in a different way. So today, just as we had heard earlier, uh, as Pastor Matt was saying, listen, that we exist to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. And that over the last three years, we've been able to send out three groups to go plant churches into different areas, two within the last six months. And so as that is our goal, you have to hear that in order to do that, really what has to be here, what has to happen here inside Generations Church is a groundswell of making disciples. As Jesus commissioned us as a church, which we'll see in in a little bit, that we are called to make disciples, that we are called to teach them, to train them, to baptize them, right? That that's a part of our mission. And so really in that disciple making, then we have to ask ourselves, okay, if the mission of the church is to make disciples, then clearly all of us here are called to be disciples. And if that's an unfamiliar term with you, a disciple is just a student, right? A follower of. Like today the word Christian can be kind of watered down. Lots of people say lots of things when they say Christian. They mean different things when they say it. But really at at the heart of this is being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, and so that's not something that we do for a short window and then all of a sudden we've arrived, we've, we, we don't have to do that anymore. Like we are lifelong followers of Jesus, lifelong disciples of Jesus. And so what does that look like for us? Especially if we know we're called to make disciples, we're called to point others towards Jesus. Then what does it look like to be a disciple? In fact, what gets in the way of us being good disciples ourselves? I'm going to slide this over, it feels awkwardly close for a minute. All right, so main idea today, if you're a note taker, is this. A disciple's relationship to wisdom begins in a posture of humility. Jesus calls every one of us to be pliable and teachable, right? That Jesus calls all of us to be humble, pliable, and teachable, right? That we are all to be disciples, and that what marks that or what puts us in a posture that can allow us to be teachable really is humility and teachability, And so wisdom speaks to that. So Proverbs speaks to that, that we all should be humble and teachable. And so that's where I want to spend some time. We'll look at Proverbs 13 today. We'll look at many of the supporting Proverbs at the end. We'll take those, we'll push those out to community groups. If you're unfamiliar, if you're visiting us, you're our guest today, community groups is really where we take this a step further. We take whatever text we're in, we press in deeper, we take that out to community groups. And really, I was sitting with my community group the other night, and I said, you know, community groups are an epic fail if every one of us doesn't leave with a personal change, a personal something. 
that it should get down to the application for each one of us in those living rooms. And so you're missing really the life of the church, the heart of the church, if you're not taking this further into a living room somewhere, into a community somewhere. And so as we look at that today, let's, I want to pray and then we will open up God's word. We will pray that he will speak to us. All right, let's pray. Jesus, as we come together this morning, our prayer is that you would speak, that I would fade somewhere into the background, that Jesus, that you, God who came in the flesh, something that we are about to celebrate, some of the hallmark pieces of the gospel, that you lived, you died, you rose again, that Jesus, you did that for us, that you are God become flesh, that you live the life that we're called to live, that you gave your life as a, as a payment for us, that you have bought us, that not only have you forgiven us, but as you rose from the dead, you have, you have offered us new life. As you've ascended to the throne in heaven, you have said, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will change you. I will transform you. And Jesus, your promise is that we will, we will be with you forever. That you will return and reign and rule. And so Jesus, in this little window that we have, this little dot on a timeline we have as a life, may we learn how to glorify you with everything we have. And today, I pray that you would speak to our hearts about being teachable. Let Proverbs, let that speak to us, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Proverbs 13, we're going to pick up in verse 1. It says this, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Right? So, What's the basic difference is as Solomon has been writing over and over again, he's writing to a son. And so it's, it's a book really written from a father to a son. And if you're a, a father or a mother, if you have children, you know your desire is that they will far surpass you, that they will learn from the lessons you have learned, that they will learn from the wisdom you have gained, that they will learn from you, and that they will go on to live a life maybe overlooking or, you know, stepping past some of the pains and mistakes that you've made. And so that you want to pass that on. And so Solomon is writing Proverbs to his son. He's collected this, this book of wisdom that he wants to pass on. And he says, listen, a, a, a wise son listens. Others mock and scoff and make fun of, but a wise son listens and as we hear this, as, as Solomon writes to his son, as he writes this book that's been given to us, we also know that God our Father would have us hear this, that we as sons and daughters of God, that we would hear this, that we would learn that as a disciple of Jesus, that we are to be listeners. And so he says, a wise son hears his father's instruction. Proverbs 21 says this about the scoffer. It says, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Enough to repeat arrogant twice, I think we're getting the point of where he's going with this, right? The difference between a listener, one who hears, is, is the humility to take that and to put it into your life. Verse two, from the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Whoever opens wide his lips comes to ruin. We spent some time here last week on the outcome of the mouth. And, and so we asked this question, or, or let me ask you this question, thinking about last week's message. 
What is the thing that causes or fuels what comes out of your mouth? Our heart, right? Jesus told us that out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. And so we, we see this drawing back to a heart issue. I would say this, that what is the difference between a son who just simply hears and a son who listens? It's the heart, right? It's being able to, to just not hear noise, but to listen to the instruction given. And so Proverbs continually keeps pointing us back to the heart. So it keeps pointing us back to where we are as it relates to instruction. If you're a note taker or for your community groups, it says, uh, it's, in order to be teachable, you must be humble. A common gauge of humility that the Bible references is your speech. You can see if you're humble or not somewhat by your speech. By how you sound when you speak, do you come across as arrogant, do you come across as rude, or do you come across as, as humble, as teachable, as pliable? And the Bible continually uses this gauge of our speech because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it, it, it shows, it reveals our hearts. And so each one of us, as we are living out our day, as the things are coming out that we're not necessarily always thinking about, as we're just in the normal rhythms of life, what happens is really we are showing what's in our heart. And so Proverbs continually takes all these things and, and really boiling back down to where are we deep down inside in our heart? Where are we as, as humans, as people? Where are we as followers of Jesus? Are we followers of Jesus? Are we humble? Are we submitted? Are, are we doing more than just hearing, but are we, are we listening? What's taking place inside us? Because sometimes we can put on a good face, we can make it look, or, or we can act in such a way where we look like we are doing something, but deep down inside, really we're far away. And oftentimes, it'll be our mouth that will betray us. <laughs> Verse 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Sluggard, a sluggard is an old school name for someone who is lazy. And laziness is antithetical to learning. Learning requires energy. And I, I've got a lot of slides today. Just understand, if you're here and you have the app, if you download our app, all these slides are in there. If you're one of those who is frantically trying to keep up writing, I may go too fast for you, so forgive me. Learning requires effort. So becoming wise, or more like Christ, requires effort. Going to church, community groups, discipleship groups, and even time spent alone with God all require your initiative. Lazy people are not learners, right? You can't sit on your couch and just eat Doritos and have knowledge and wisdom just by osmosis enter you, right? Like it takes effort you have to go pursue because our natural tendencies and biases are really towards selfishness. And they're not towards learning. And so lazy people are not learners because it takes effort to change who you are, to learn more. Verse five, the righteous hates falsehood. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Righteousness is typically defined as a moral or ethical character. 
To become righteous is to have a moral or ethical character change. In the, in the biblical context, really, it points us towards Jesus, not just some set of morals or some set of ethics, but it's pointing us towards looking more like Christ. So to be righteous is to look more like Jesus. And so really what the author is saying is Solomon writes this in the context of a faith-based understanding of wisdom, of a gospel-centric view of wisdom. He's saying this, he's, to be righteous is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to have your life become more like Jesus. So he says in this, he says, the righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. And so we've seen this as we've worked through Proverbs. Proverbs will often work us down a road of wisdom and then contrast it with foolishness and in the same breath contrast wisdom with sin. And the idea here is that sin causes us to be foolish. And remember, we said there's really four audiences that Solomon talks about. There's the young, the simple, the wise, and the fool. And the young, as we've already talked about, really is young people, we expect more out of you. The more young you are, the less expectation there is. And then there's just simple, right? And we could all pick topics in which we know things, but then we can also all pick topics in which we are simple, right? Chemistry, simple, right? Microbiology, simple. I'm just simple in those areas. I'm unlearned in those areas. They're not a part of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And high school was a long time ago. And so I'm simple in those ways. Now I could go learn them, but right now I'm just unlearned or ignorant of those areas. Wisdom is taking what we learn, understanding it for ourselves and pushing it into our lives. Foolishness is taking that wisdom taking that learning, taking that understanding, and ignoring it. And so when it talks about the opposite of righteous, rather than just unrighteous, but righteous equaling those who are wise, but also then unrighteousness looking like sin, it's the idea that God would give you what you need in order to live well. What it is that you need, that God has given you, that God would pour that out to you, that God would reveal to you all that you need and that you would hear it, that you would not take it in, that you would ignore it, that is foolishness. And so foolishness often is just simply sin. Romans says this, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness, meaning God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you towards repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So here's what, what Paul, as he writes to this church, here's what he's saying. He says, listen, the kindness and the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the benevolence of God poured out on humanity is to lead you towards repentance, that God is good, that God is kind, he is graceful and merciful, that he is benevolent, and it should point us towards repentance. And repentance is just simply a term that the military used to use hundreds and hundreds of years ago that meant turn 180 degrees and run for your life. They were losing a battle this way, and a general on a hill would call out, repent, and they would turn and run literally for their lives. So as the Bible speaks to us, it's calling us to turn away from our sin, to turn away from foolishness, to turn away from self, to turn away from idolatry, to turn away from sin, and to turn and literally run towards God for our life. 
And as Paul writes to us here in Romans, he says what prevents that is a hardness of heart. Now remember earlier we said teachability, that it requires a humble, pliable, teachable heart, right? That we need to have that soft heart. Well, in Romans, same context is saying the the thing that's keeping you from turning towards God is a hard heart. When we harden our heart, again, it's a metaphoric heart, not really like our physical cardiovascular system type, you know, pulmonary system heart. That's not, we're not talking about, are we getting blood flow? Are we getting oxygen? What are we getting? We're talking about this core piece of us inside. Like when we say we love someone with all our heart, when we, when we say that it's, that it's that deepest part of us. And in that, what God is saying is that deep down inside, you have hardened yourself to him. That as he has called to you, as he's been good to you, has been graceful to you, as God has given to you, you've hardened yourself against him. The other image in scripture is, in the Old Testament, a common one is uh, a stiff-necked people. And I've told this story before. I don't have a better one, so you can hear the same story again. So if your news is great, right? If you're old, just deal with it. You probably tell the story for me. But I, I, I have rescued pit bulls over the years. I love the breed. I think they've been misused and mistreated. And so I have had many pit bulls. And so we took one that was a rescue, and we adopted it at one point to give a friend to our other one. And we got this little girl, and she had been adopted and brought back after she'd been rescued off the streets. And she... Long story, we end up getting this dog, and, and this dog was the most unbehaving, not listening dog ever, right? And so this dog just wouldn't do anything, wouldn't come, wouldn't do anything, wouldn't stare at nothing. And only thing this dog was good at was sleeping really, really sound. Like, you couldn't wake this dog up for anything. So we're out, we're walking both dogs. I've got the big one. My wife's got the little girl who is pretty obstinate and doesn't listen very well. And we're out walking, and we just started to notice some signs along the road that I just said, you know what? I think, I think it was Lisa that really kind of caught on to it first. I said, I don't think she can hear. I said, no. Seems like she looks at it, she just doesn't want to behave. And so we went to this, do- this, this uh, pet store. We walked in with the dogs, and I got those whistles that, you know, you can't hear the dog whistles, right? And I try and stand behind her and blow the whistle and see. We must have looked like idiots in the, in the, in the pet store for sure. We, we clap really loud behind her, nothing. My other dog losing his mind as we're doing this to try and figure this out. And we came to the conclusion, she's deaf. We had a deaf dog. We'll come to find out a lot of blue, blue-eyed dogs with white hair, a lot of nerve deafness in those dogs, right? So, okay, whole new strategy. So we teach her sign language like, like you would a kid or a person or anybody else. So we teach her, okay, sit, all right, stay, come here go whatever. And we taught all kinds of things. She became really obedient, but there were times inside her where she really wasn't that obedient. And we'd look at her to tell her something, and this is what she would do. (laughs) My dog would turn and stiffen her neck for me so she couldn't see what I'm telling her to do. That way, she wouldn't have to do it. My dog would do that. Right? Starting to understand humanity a little better too, aren't we? The other term for this is a stiff neck. When we look to God and God gives us, God speaks to us, God, God is kind to us, and we just kind of turn, like, funny when we tell the story, but really when you think about it, all we're doing is we're just looking away from God saying, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. It's because we have a hard heart. 
You see, the gospel is this, that, that Jesus has come to restore that hard heart. That Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died, he rose again, not just that we could be forgiven because it's, it's one thing to be forgiven of something, but it's an entirely different thing that we are transformed and no longer that person. If we are just forgiven because we have this bad trait in our life, this sinful thing, and God forgives us but leaves us here in that bad, sinful life, that's one thing. And, and thank God for forgiveness, literally. We praise God that we're forgiven for the things that we have done wrong. But there's more to the gospel. The resurrection is we will look to Easter and see the resurrection is about new life, about a transformed heart, about softening us to God. That the gospel, when we, when we come under Christ and when Jesus enters into our life in a real and palatable way, that he gives us his spirit, his spirit begins to live in us and causes us to be new. That he causes a soft heart that he gives us the ability to no longer be a stiff-necked and stubborn people. If you want to know if Jesus has taken root in your life, look inside and see, like, is there, is there something working in me, whether I'm listening to it or not, to transform me, to change me, to call me to a new place? That's the spirit. That's that place where our hearts are made soft, where we turn our necks back around and we look, and we look to the Father, we look to Jesus, and we look to be different. Verse seven says this, one pretends to be rich yet has nothing, another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but the poor, the poor man, has no threat. This isn't really about wealth. Uh, there's, we've, we did a couple messages, there's all kinds of stuff in Proverbs about finances and wealth and being prudent and, and all those kind of things. In fact, there's a verse at the end of this passage we're going to see that even deals with finances. This verse isn't it. This is about pretense. This is about living in such a way that we're pretending we're not something we are. It says one man is rich, pretends to be poor, another man is poor, pretends to be rich, right? And we know what that looks like in our life. What it's talking about is living under a false pretense, putting forward an image that really isn't you. I try to write it down like this, using transparency. Living transparently, in order to be teachable, you must be who you really are in front of others. Pretense only prevents you from learning. So play this out with me. If I am living my life and I am pretending that, hey, my marriage is great, or hey, my walk with Jesus is great, and hey, you know, my life is just going perfect, right? If I put that off, number one, we all know that's not true, right? We know no one's perfect. No one's not suffering. No one's not working on something. No one has arrived, if you will. And especially, let me say this, the farther you go, the deeper you you go in your faith, the, the longer you spend time with Jesus, the further you feel like you are sometimes. Because the more has been revealed to you. And the calling is greater. And the, the insight to who you are is greater. And sometimes the deeper you fall in love with Jesus, the more you realize you're just really broken. And you get to see God put those pieces back together. You get to see the gospel take root in your life. But you also get to see how jacked up you are. Is that just me? <laughs> okay. Transparency. Teachability. To be a disciple, you have to be transparent. You have to actually be who you are. 
And that's what it's talking about when the, well, the, the wealthy are trying to look like they're poor and the poor are trying to look like they're wealthy. Like, in order to be teachable, you have to live transparently. You have to be able to live who you are in front of other people. And the reason is, listen, teachability and humility, learning from one another, that's, that's all of us. I learn from you, you learn from me, we learn from others, we learn from scripture, we learn uh, all kinds of ways, but we've got to live out who we are. And again, community groups, that's a place where we need to be who we are. We just need to be able to be honest with a small group of people. You can't obviously go walking around and just kind of dumping out everything that's bad in your life, right? I mean, that can get old fast, right? But you can't pretend nothing's wrong either. So you need a place where you can take the transparent life that you've been given and really dive into the brokenness, the pieces, the things that God is calling you to change. Calvin, in his institutes 500 years ago, he wrote about the image of God in humanity, and he, he wrote it about a mirror. He says, like, when we look in a mirror, what we're supposed to reflect is God's image. He says, like, if you take that mirror and you just let it drop, and all those little pieces break, they're still mirror side up, they're all broken on the floor, and you look down and you try and see that image in the broken pieces... He says, that's what happened. The image of God has been shattered in humanity. That the image of God is shattered in us. And through the gospel, what happens is we begin to put those pieces like a puzzle back together. And sometimes when you put those pieces together, there's those kind of crazy scarred up glue lines where everything doesn't quite line up. But over time, we get to see those fade and go away and more pieces come together. And as God calls us forward as disciples, that's what he's asking us. He's listening. will you be teachable? Will you be transparent? Will you live honestly in front of other people? Will you allow other people into your life? And that doesn't mean everyone. It doesn't mean that everybody has to speak into your life and you have to tell everybody everything that's wrong. But you need a place, and, and for us, that's really community groups. There's no way we can do that in this big of a setting, even with 50% of the church out for the rain and the time change, Right? can't do it here. But we can. When we get in a living room of 8, 10, 12, 15 people, we can be honest and we can begin to share and we can go deeper with others. Verse 9, the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. There's a warning here. It says, listen, the light, at some point, God's going to snuff the light out. Like at some point, that's going to happen. We all know this. That tomorrow's not a guarantee. Right, we're not guaranteed a tomorrow. We're not, we're not guaranteed to, to live through today, really. And so life is short. Life, life, it goes by too quick. We all know that. And we also know that tomorrow is not guaranteed. And so that's what he's saying is, listen, that at some point, the light goes out. Where do you want to be when that happens? And really, it's a terrible way to look at things. We don't, we're not trying to hedge our bet on how long we will live, but rather really living a life of falling in love with Jesus. But God does keep reminding us, hey, listen, you don't get forever to figure this out. Verse 10, by insolence comes nothing but strife. Insolence is like disrespectful behavior. But by insolence comes nothing but strife. But those who take advice, but with those who take advice is wisdom. I kept reading that, and I even read it wrong right now. And I was just, as I was looking at this passage, I was trying to figure out the second half of this sentence. And it finally just clicked. It's, it's with those who take advice is wisdom. 
It's talking about the people you're around. And so let me, let me give it to you this way. Marcia, do you have that? I believe you. Can we have it too? All right, good. Those around you, are the people around you prideful or, and arrogant or are they teachable? Wisdom is with those who take advice, says verse 10. We often emulate those around us. Like as the group that we're a part of, the people that we hang out with, and I know that there's the workplace or school, there's, there's our friends, our neighborhood, there's those that we, maybe if you have hobbies, that you do hobbies with, whatever. I'm just the collective people around you, are they arrogant? Are they prideful? Because that tends to bleed out to you sometimes. Are they humble? Are they teachable? And really, it's not saying don't be around anyone who isn't this or that or who is this or that. But what it's saying is collectively, you tend to look a lot like the crowd you're in. And so are you in a group of people that are humble and pliable and teachable? Are you in a group of people that are listening to God? And then when you're around the others, are you the influence? Because we're called to be around those who don't know Jesus. We are called to be around those who need Jesus in their life. We're, we're called to that. All of us should be a part of that. But we should be that wisely. We should do that in a setting where we're the influencer and not being influenced, right? And so it's asking, who are you, who are you around? What, what are the people like around you? Do they show this humility, this teachability? Verse 11. Wealth gained hastily would dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. There's been three passages so far that we've looked at over the last 10 weeks in Proverbs where it used this phrase, the tree of life, and, and it's a powerful phrase. It's only used three places in the Bible. It's used in Genesis, it's used in Proverbs, it's used in Revelation. So very beginning of the Bible, very end of the Bible, and it's that thing that is removed because of sin and humanity. That this thing that is removed, the only place we get little glimpses of it is through wisdom. And what it's saying really is that you don't get rich overnight. Whoever gathers little by little will increase. And hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. There's a right time and a right place for wealth and, and for this. But there's, there's really what everybody wants, this overnight get rich kind of quick scheme. And so the note that we have on this says being wise requires being teachable. And learning takes place over time. There's no shortcut to wisdom or righteousness. Now I say that, and we'll leave that up for a second. There's no overnight solutions. But I, I, I will say this, I, I'd still stand by the fact there's no shortcut to wisdom. But there is, and we've made this point over and over again here, that you can learn from other people's mistakes. You don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. You don't have to make all the mistakes I've made. You can hear how I've learned from my mistakes and you can overcome those. So if there's any shortcut, there's no real overnight solution, but if there's any shortcut, let's just say this, you don't have to learn from pain. You don't have to be transformed by causing pain in your life that makes you change. You can learn from the wisdom of others. You can learn by being listeners, not just hearers, right? Verse 13 says this, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. 
Now, this isn't a, this isn't a, hey, if you do this, if you do this thing that's unwise, hey, if you are foolish, hey, if you are hard-hearted, God's going to like rain down punishment on, it's not saying that. It's, remember, Proverbs aren't promises, they're truisms. They are pretty much always true, but there's not like a, this equals that all the time. Like, if you do this, God will punish you for, in this way. What it is, is saying like, if you live like this, the outcome isn't good. Like the outcome in your life, not just eternal, not just anything, but if you live in such a way that is ungodly and unwise, the outcome is, tends to be painful, right? If you live, like well, if finances is an easy way. If you live beyond your means, meaning you spend more than you bring in, everything is on credit, nothing is deferred, everything you want it right now, that ends in pain. Not that God is going to judge you because your revolving credit card balance has X amount of dollars, but just somebody who's going to want to get paid sometime. Living wisely, though, if you live below your means, you, the outcome is different. The outcome is far more secure, far more peaceful, right? Far less stressful when bills come in or tragedy strikes or hard things happen. And so it's, it's really, it's truisms. I don't want you to hear this as judgment and if you do this, there's this. It's just living this way equals that. Living this way equals that. Verse 18, every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. In our community group, something came up last Thursday night, and it was, it was a cool time in our community group, but we were trying just to, because Proverbs uses these different words, and we were trying to define how they work with each other. And so let me just put it on knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. I asked the group that night, how are these words, what do these words mean? How are they different? Didn't work. All right. Have we, do you have that one? I'll just read it from here. Knowledge is learning facts. Understanding is applying knowledge to your personal situation. And wisdom is produced as you live out what you know and understand. So knowledge, information, it's just learning facts. To gain knowledge, you just learn facts. That's not a bad thing, by the way, because it begins there. Understanding is taking those facts, taking that learning, and figuring out how it fits into your life. Wisdom is living all that out, right? Wisdom is taking what you've learned and what you've understood and putting it into action in your life. Living wisely or gaining wisdom you do over time as you begin to live it out. Knowledge isn't everything. You can't get it all out of a book, right? Understanding takes what you've learned and it applies it to yourself. You learning how to figure it out. Okay, so I hear this. What does that mean to me? Here's a value. Here's a principle. Here's a truth. Great. What does that look like in my life? Then wisdom is living it out. And these three words are used throughout Proverbs just like they have the different hearers. They're talking about different levels of things. Wisdom, the hardest to have, obviously, is because it takes that learning it takes that understanding and it puts it into your life, right? It has to be learned, it has to be made personal, and then it has to be walked out. Verse 17 says, a wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. This is about being truthful and about a true message to you. So if we've said we need to live transparently in front of people, if we, if we have to have a place where we can be real with people, we can let down the facade, then here's what we have. Then we have people that will speak into our lives. If we allow people to speak into our lives, here's what it says. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. 
As you lay down your guard, as you put away the mask, if you will, as you become real with others and they begin to speak in your life, do you want them to lie to you and tell you everything's okay? Or do you want them to speak with grace and truth into your life? And that's what it's talking about, that this wicked messenger is the untrue messenger, but those who speak truth, those are healing. Speaking truth, even in hard settings, brings healing, even when it's tough in the moment. Verse 18, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. But whoever heeds reproof is honor. I was thinking about this verse yesterday, and, and I had a class when I was a teenager. I'm going to say, I think it was middle school. Don't quote me on that. But I was, I was in a class, and I remember being given this test. And I get this, a couple pieces of paper, lots of questions. And what the teacher says, and he also, it's written right at the top of the page, Read the whole thing before you begin. Most of your teachers are already laughing. Now I'm in a hurry, always. And so I want to get this thing done, because when we can turn it in, we can leave. So what do I do? I start flying through all the answers, right? So if I'd done the right thing, what I would do is I would have read each question, starting from the beginning, it says read everything. And I would have gotten to the last question on the last page that says this. Now that you're here, write your name on this piece of paper and bring it up to the teacher. That's all you had to do to pass the test, was write your name on the piece of paper and bring it up to the teacher. Clearly, I didn't listen. Right, there was instructions there. We were given instructions to, to, to read everything first. And so everyone that came up there with all these answers, the teacher just smiled and said, you didn't heed instruction. Right? You didn't listen to what I said. I'm, I'm your teacher. I'm the one giving you the test. And I said, read everything before you begin. It would have been a lot faster, a lot easier, a lot quicker. I'd have gotten home a lot sooner had I just read. And I would have read if I had just listened. And that's what God is saying. Listen, I, I want you to listen. I want you to, to heed instruction. I want you to take what I give you and I want you to follow it. Don't just think you know better. Listen. Obey, heed, heed instruction. Verse 19, it says, A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. I wrote this down for you. I wanted you to have this, this note on a fulfilled life. It says, Jesus desires to give us a life of fulfillment, but often we choose a different road. Foolishness is believing we know better than the God who created us. Foolishness was me flying through every answer on that test without reading it first. And that was foolish because all I had to do was really do the one thing it said at the very end and I'd have been done. Jesus wants to give us a fulfilled life. What that requires is that we heed the instructions he gives us. Verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's back to our point about the crowd we're in. Verse 21 says, disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. That's back to that same idea that this lifestyle ends this way pretty much all the time, and this lifestyle ends the other way pretty much all the time, right? Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. Listen to these comparisons in these final verses. It says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it's swept away through injustice. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. In other words, who not, does never, whoever doesn't discipline their children 
hates them. But he who loves them is diligent to discipline them. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. The idea is good versus sinful, wise versus, uh, wise versus unwise, really rooted in the gospel. Being a teachable disciple of Jesus. So as I said er- here earlier, here's the Great Commission. So here's what Jesus says. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's the command. Go and make disciples. Now that's got the presupposition. That's got the idea to it ahead of time. You're a disciple. That you're a disciple of Jesus and you are going to make disciples. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's an assumed that you're a disciple. And it says, now go and, and make disciples, baptize them, right? We're going to have baptisms on Easter. If you're a follower of Jesus and have not been baptized, I would love if you would see me, that we would talk through that. That's one of the things he calls us to. That's one of the places where we call it a means of grace, a, a place where God powerfully transforms us. So I would tell you that if you've never been baptized, please talk to me. I would love to have that conversation with you. And then it says, teaching them to obey, all that I've given you. And I'm with you. I, I, I'm staying with you. I'm not leaving you. I'm just passing that this is your role, right? So what gets in the way of us being teachable disciples? I want to move really quickly through this. We're going to post those again for our community groups. We'll, we'll grab these last slides and, and verses. And so you don't have to catch them all. I can give them to you. Uh, but let me go to the first one. Command to be teachable, Proverbs 1.8. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. I want you to hear, not just, I want you to do this. I want you to follow up. I want you to obey your parents. Oh, hear, right? Next is a warning of not teachable people. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. It's my favorite proverb. You can say, oh, it's so inappropriate. You can take it up with Solomon, not me. Don't hate the messenger, right? But promise to the teachable, keep my commandments and live my teaching as the apple of your eye, right? There's a promise. If you are teachable, life flows out of that, not death. I don't mean in the breathing sense, but a life that is worth living, that is satisfying, that is good. Next one. Pride prevents. So how, what gets in the way of teachability? Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Like, Pride, arrogance prevents us. That's that idea that I don't need to hear what you're saying. I already know, or I know better, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm talking, the older you get, the harder this is. You've been through a lot, but you can always learn. And you can learn from someone young. You can learn someone who's different, who's lived a different life. Pride gets in the way of being teachable. Next one. Laziness prevents teachability, as we heard earlier. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Well, the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Laziness, you're, you're not going to get anywhere in your faith, in wisdom, without effort. Next one. Humility fosters teachability. The fear of the Lord is instruction. And wisdom and humility comes before honor. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. And humility comes before honor. Making yourself low comes before kind of growing to that place of success or of wisdom. Is that the last one? I think that's the last one, right? That is the last one. 
As we look at making disciples, training leaders, planting churches, we look at multiplying, being a church that is committed to sending. That's a hard thing to do. You're always giving away. And we, in fact, we've even committed, we're going to give away our best. We're going to send out our best leaders. We're going to send out our best volunteers, our best servants. We're going to do that because we believe that the kingdom is worth it. We believe that to reach more people, that we will go to them rather than in pride and arrogance, asking them to come to us. So at the root of all that, the groundswell that must take place is discipleship, making disciples, multiplying disciples. And a disciple is one who is teachable. Are you a teachable, humble, pliable disciple of Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You have taken us in our worst moments. You have loved us in our deepest darkness. And Jesus, you have pursued us and given your life for us. I am incredibly humbled by that, Lord. I am grateful for your sacrifice on our behalf. Lord, you could have used anyone, and yet somehow you saw fit to use someone as messed up as me. That ought to cause humility in me, Lord. That ought to cause humility in all of us that you've invited us into this family at this time and called us to this task is a great honor and it should humble us before you. Jesus, none of this is possible without you. This is not possible without your life, your death, your resurrection. It's, it's not possible without you placing your spirit in us and transforming us, you doing all the work. And Jesus, we can never teach anyone else to follow you unless we ourselves are committed to being followers of yours. Help us to be loving, kind, humble, pliable, teachable disciples. It's in your name we pray. Amen.